welcome back to another episode. I wanted to uh, I wanted to try to do something fun here with Larry. There's been a, a little social media challenge going around the last few days of a of the decade challenge 2009 to 2019, and people putting pictures up from 10 years ago and in a picture now, and you know talking about uh, the different things that they had going on in their lives. And so Larry bought his truck in 2009. So I thought it'd be kind of fun just for a minute to kind of roll through this and, and compare and kind of analyze our two stories of what we were doing in 2009 versus what we're doing now. I'll start 2009. My middle son was born in June and I was working for a small carrier in Columbus, Ohio called Sylvan trucking. I was just a company driver. And so at that point, we were we were trying to decide whether or not to move from Columbus back to West Virginia, and we ended up making that move, I think, in October. I did a series uh, before Larry started on the podcast. Uh, there's a series called Dissecting a Decade. It has the kind of 10 years in detail. So 2009, all of that, I was a company driver. So 2009, what were you doing? Well, I was trying to convince Transport America to let me become an owner-operator. I had been with them since Labor Day. Actually, yeah, Labor Day is when I actually started of 2008. So in 2009, for the first six months of the year, I was a company driver. And I was, uh, I'd been driving, you know, for a few months then and, um, obviously seen, you know, the opportunity and was trying to convince them to let me become an owner operator. And that's when they were telling me that I had to have a year's experience, blah, 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 which was in episode 49. So, um, they did eventually let me do it. So I bought my truck in June of 2009. So, um, for the rest of 2009, I was, uh, a, an own, a leased owner operator at Transport American. I was running over the road freight still because I didn't get the opportunity to do FedEx until like, uh, November or late in the year. So I transitioned then from just general freight over the road driving to dedicated FedEx driving late in 2019 or 2009. And then, of course, after that, I stayed on that dedicated freight the, the entire rest of the time I was at Transport America. I'm just thinking it's kind of funny because Levi was born in June, June 26th of 2009, you know, yeah. and I think about him sitting there in the other room right now, probably watching YouTube or playing a video game, and he's pretty much the same age as your truck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 2010 was a rough year for me. I had uh, I left Schneider. I had gone to Schneider because I couldn't stay at the company I was with because they were based in Columbus. And we had decided to move back to West Virginia. And I got into January and I hurt my shoulder doing a dedicated account that I hated with a passion. And so I quit. I was fed up and I was done with this trucking garbage. I, I messed around and, and took a job installing satellite dishes. <laughs> when the fog cleared from that, I think I made about $1,200 in six months. It was a complete disaster. And so uh, I remember I was at my daughter's uh, 2010, so I guess it would have been her her fourth birthday party at a bowling alley. And I had tried to get a job with this uh, land air transport that did the big lots, and they didn't have – there was no room at the end. So I had contacted Heartland Express. 
and uh, I was signed up to go to orientation and I was at the bowling alley and I got a call from land air and they're like, Hey, we got a spot. Do you want it? And I'm like, well, sure. And they're like, we well, have to be here tomorrow. Oh. oh, okay. So, uh, loaded up the pickup truck and drove to Columbus and, and, uh, spent the rest of, of 2010 working for them. And, and it was somewhere, I want to say about October that, that I, that's when I started this conversation in my head about, being an owner operator and that being that next step and that grade 13, like you talked about in the last episode, I'm like, well, this is the natural step, you know? And so I talked to a bunch of people, did a bunch of research, chose Anderson trucking service. And on, uh, on new year's Eve, I went to the bus station and got on the, the Greyhound white trash express to uh, Indianapolis and, uh, and, and headed on that adventure into 2011. So what was your 2010 like? Well, 2010 was the first, uh, my first CMC. Uh, okay. I, had, I had found Kevin Rutherford on the radio and been listening to, I tried to go in 2009, but they, t- they were sold out. And so I went ahead and prepaid for 2010. It was my first experience there, which obviously was life changing. And, uh, a lot of the things that we're doing now, obviously were, were concepts that I was embracing for the first time at that point in time. You know, I was getting used to the dedicated thing. Again, I was seeing the opportunity in that. I hadn't added any trucks yet, but the decision was, you know, was, was the wheels were starting to turn, especially after going to the CMC in October that year, that um, that we were, um, that that would be my, my growth uh, potential would be to start adding trucks. So, you know, just starting to get my, wrap my mind around that, how I was going to do it. Uh, I had met jimmy the junk man for the first time at the cmc and he and i started to develop a relationship and you know he was uh you know we were we were strategizing some things together at the time and and uh yeah, he was going to probably be he was going to be my source for my first couple of trucks you know so all this the groundwork was being laid but that that pretty much that was that was the uh the big event in 2010 was was that so 2011 for me started, as I said, on the White Trash Express to uh, Indianapolis. And between Columbus and Indianapolis, the bus had to pull over literally three times. And the and the bus driver would start threatening to call the cops because it was <laughs> we we pulled out about 12:30 at night, and uh, it was a 26-hour bus ride to St. Cloud, Minnesota. Get up there, and it was like you know 10 below zero or something stupid. And Did you say 20-hour uh, bus ride. 26. 26 hours. 26. Yeah. Yeah, if you, I mean, I I think literally, if you want to experience purgatory and hell on earth, just go get on a Greyhound, you know, and just just pick a destination a thousand miles away. Uh, so went through my orientation with uh, Anderson, picked out my truck, started with him in January. I remember having a conversation with my wife just after Easter because I was trying to do like an every other third weekend home, and she even saw that. As long as I was driving, I was making money, but when I, I would lose so much, and she was like, look, you, you just, you're going to do this. You're just going to have to go out and run. And so we made the decision uh, at Easter of 2011 that I would run six to eight weeks, and I would come home for four or five days, and I'd do six to eight weeks, and, and that worked. You know, I was able to make enough money, but, you know, left her at home with a, uh, you know, a toddler and a, and a four-year-old. Uh, we had moved back to Columbus in the fall of 2010. Um, so the, the rest of, of 2011 really went off pretty well. I, I did have uh, one major mistake where I, I knocked the bottom out of my radiator, uh, being stupid 
and uh, and got to experience that first. Oh crap! They're not bringing me another truck. This is the only truck I have, and you know, and I have I've made this giant stupid decision, and um, you know, rented a car and drove home and and had to sit there and and wait for them to fix my truck. And but other than that, you know, 2011 was really a a good year. You know, I, I think I did. Uh, oh, I ran a hundred thousand miles and I made a hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars gross to the truck. You know, so I had a I had a pretty good rate per mile. Twenty eleven was 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 pretty good. So what was your twenty eleven? When you bought well, your we first start, truck, we started added, added the first truck in twenty eleven. Hired for my first driver. Uh, of course, this FedEx thing. I was you know I was getting pretty good at that. They they were they liked me. They gave me the opportunity to bring these trucks on and put them on straight on with FedEx. You know, I had I'd, I'd earned their respect at that point in time, and they were pretty much willing, letting me call my own shots there as far as uh, my other drivers go. So we took this route that was, you know, it was a problem route. They could never get anybody to do it right. I'm thinking it was Indianapolis up to somewhere in New York, and it was a pretty difficult route to do, but we took it and perfected it and and um and of course you know the trucks you know were doing about a quarter of a million to the truck you know per year Uh, so that was the beginning of you know of my vision for what became blue ribbon logistical solutions at that point in time and I, i could just see that you know that the opportunity was there i just didn't know if i could i didn't know how much how many routes they would give me and how difficult it would be. Because the hardest thing for me was how was hiring drivers. You know, it was just a very, very difficult thing. I thought it would be easy because I, th- I thought I could find me. I uh-huh. thought that this would be so attractive, you know, uh, that people would just be falling out of the woodwork. And, and that this route, because it's so consistent and so profitable that everybody would want to be on it. And I found out that nobody wanted to be on it because nobody really wanted to work that hard, you know. Yeah. Because you literally had to work. You know, I mean, you had to, you know, it's very, very, very demanding in terms of service level and you know you you especially trying to make that new york thing work that required you know keeping the door shut and staying on you know staying in the truck and getting there you know so it was um my first experience in hiring drivers and and you know learned a lot about the industry at that point in time again yeah i remember i came in this thing 2007 2008 and didn't know anything about it you know and i assumed i'd find lots of me out there but what was i shocked <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, developing some, some relationships. I mean, I was Indianapolis based, um, all my trucks were. And, uh, so developing networks with shops up there and, and vendors and that sort of thing, you know, because obviously we had to have those relationships because the trucks had to roll. So we literally had a situation where we had a Detroit shop there where we would park the trucks in, you know, um, you know, when they were taking their 10 hour break in Indianapolis, they would, we'd park there. If we, when we went home on the weekends, we left the trucks there. So we had this, this, um, you know, overnight service provided by them, whatever needed to be fixed was fixed while we were out of the truck. You know, even remember we had a really, really bad winter. Um, don't remember if it was exactly 2011 or not, but we had a really, really bad weather up there, winter up there. And they actually let me run extension cords out of the building and plug all of our trucks up out in the parking lot, you know, had a wow. really, really good relationship going with them. You know, we really, really did. So I had, a, I had to go, I had the key of uh, the gate code 
so we could come and go. You know, they closed like at midnight. You know, so we could come and go as we pleased, and and uh, so just doing that and just keeping things going at, at the same time, trying to get my head around what this expansion was going to look like. You know, and 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 what what you know what I needed to do next. I had uh, Jimmy and I were working together. He was uh, he was buying he was buying trucks at auction and. He was doing the uh, the refurbs and stuff at the time, and I was buying it from him. So he was sort of my truck broker, if you will. So we were we were working together now, and I, you know my relationship with him was starting to be developed. So um, yeah, I think that's about the time where I bought uh, probably late in eleven or early in twelve. I bought the twin truck. So we I bought two uh, sisters that came from the same fleet, and I think that's about the time that we probably added those on, probably in twenty twelve. But uh, twenty twelve. You know, I completed the way the Anderson lease deal was set up as a one-year lease, and you got a $3,200 bonus check at the end. So you you could complete your lease, they would write you a check, and you could walk away. So we, of course, we already had the bonus check spent before it even came. We could we took the kids to Disney uh, at the end of February, and that was all in $7,000. But we paid for it, you know, and and I I was I was kind of proud of myself. I think that. You know, I had I had made it through this first year of leasing a truck. I had, um, you know, I had a I had a good income, and and my reward was going to be this this trip to take the kids to Disney, and wow, that mouse is good at extracting money from people, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But I'll never forget as long as I live. My my daughter was uh, uh she was uh, five. We went to the Bippity Boppity Boutique, mm-hmm. and they dressed her uh, for two hundred and fifty dollars. They dressed her up in a princess outfit and did her hair and makeup and all that stuff. You know, of course, it was a $3 dress and a, you know, a $2 tiara and a $250 makeup job. But to watch her walk around that park all day and everybody uh, referred to her as princess, you know, just, uh, you know, oh, yeah, I did that all day long. And I remember driving home. We left Disney on Friday night. Stayed for the fireworks at Magic Kingdom. Jumped in the van. Hauled ass up to Georgia somewhere. Got a motel. Took a nap. Drove back home. Uh, got home late Saturday night. I went straight. She dropped me off. We unloaded the van. Went straight to my truck. Got in my truck and drove to Louisville. Because I had to I had to pick up a load. The rest of 2012 was, was, was pretty cool. I, I went to a, a, a NASCAR truck race at Texas. Just happen to unload across the street and and god bless eddie gossage you know free truck parking it's kind of hard to beat and uh when it, that was the that was actually the race if you remember that um kyle bush got parked uh oh, yeah. for turning ron hornaday head on into the wall and uh I, well, I was i was there to watch that live uh so 2012 was a pretty good year but i knew the truck that i had was an 07 i had 389,000 miles on it when i got it and I knew at the end of that lease, they weren't going to let me lease it a third time because I had I just I basically in January, I walked in, I signed the new lease. They handed me my thirty two hundred dollar check uh, and I, I, I was I was in the building 30 minutes, you know, so I knew I had a decision to make going into 13 because I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to get one of these new trucks, you know, because all the all the old sevens were gone. You know, they, there was none of those around and. 
man, I begged. Let me lease this one more time. And it had 600 and some thousand miles on it. And I'm like, no. And I remember the guy saying, it's on the verge of a catastrophic failure. It's just any minute now. It's going to have a catastrophic failure. You don't want that truck. And he knew that. Yeah. Well, he knew he was going to set that thing on a lot and sell it for about 35 grand. Yeah. I'd love to have that truck back. Uh, so I was just preparing in 2012 to have to make a move. And a friend of mine was talking me into going to the flatbed division over there. And so that's kind of what 2012 ended up trying to figure out how I was going to do that. So what was your 2012? Well, 2012, we, you know, we, we definitely had those other two trucks on with them. So now we're four. You can do the math. Life was good. You know, we were, <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to get somebody in my truck, you know, because uh, at that point in time, I was kind of thinking, well, I don't really need to be driving right now. I can I can live off what these trucks are generating easily. Um, but it, it again, hi- hiring drivers was still a huge challenge, a very, very big challenge. And I really could never. I, we 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 I had a, I had a couple of guys try. I could never get and I was not going to let this. Uh, you know, somebody come in and screw this up, you know, cause it was too, it was just too lucrative. So, well, you, you told me one time about this schedule that you ran when you were doing this about how much sleep you were getting and driving it, run through that schedule real quick. Well, how you, it's, um, uh, on, 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 I would, my week would start now again, remember I live in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm operating out of Indianapolis, Indiana. So that's 200 miles right there. Okay. So, my week would start Monday night at 11 p.m. That's where my load, I would load at the at the airport to go to, uh, well, I would go to Carlisle, but the load eventually went on up to, to Elizabeth, New Jersey. But to refresh your memory, I would drop a hook in Carlisle with a local guy, and he would take it on the rest of the way, and then he would bring me back the other load. I would sit there and take my 10-hour break. So I drive 11 o'clock at night. I get there, you know, I don't know, nine or so in the morning, you know, um, drop my load, take my 10-hour break. And then I would come back, you know, he would bring me the load back, loaded from Elizabeth. I get on the road again, you know, nine or 10 that night, something like that. I come back and deliver into Indianapolis the next morning, seven o'clock or so, and then I would go to bed. Okay. So I would sleep during the day in Carlisle or sleep during the day in Indianapolis. So I did two of those uh, rounds a week, Monday night, Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday. And when I first took the 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 the, the gig, that was the extent of it. But if you remember, I kept adding to it, you know. So I would then, my Friday was a round trip. It was a 700-mile round trip from Indianapolis to North Jackson, Ohio, and back. It was, it was actually 660 miles paid, but it was 700 miles, really, to drive it. So I would leave about 5 p.m. and I would get back, you know, right. I mean, I was, I mean, I was, I had minutes left on my clock. So I would get back at like seven in the morning on Sunday morning. Okay. Or on Saturday morning. So then I would sleep again. I'd do that again on Saturday night. So I got back Sunday morning about seven o'clock. I would jump in my personal vehicle. I'd park the truck at the Detroit shop. I'd get my personal vehicle. I'd drive home. So I'd be home by about noon. Okay. I would go to bed and I would sleep 14 hours. Okay. Straight through. And so I would get up whenever that was sometime Monday 
And then I would uh, see my wife for three or four hours. I would get back in my per- in my uh, personal vehicle and drive back to Indianapolis Monday night, start all over again. So I got my four I got my 34 hour reset in on the weekend. If you don't count the drive time in my personal vehicle back and forth from Indianapolis to Lexington, you earned every penny of that 250 grand, didn't you? It was it was a challenge, and I and it was a problem because I couldn't find anybody else that could would could or would do it. You know. Yeah. So I, w- I was never able to replace myself in that particular. Now, that's we only did one. All the other trucks, the schedule was somewhat less than that. And also the pay was somewhat less than that. You know, I, I wasn't going to let it go and I wasn't going to uh, not uh, deliver. So um, I pretty much did it for four and a half years, you know. Well, yeah. and I think the, the important principle of everybody hang on right there is what you said. I see a lot of people, they're like, well, you know, what? I want to hire a driver. You cannot replace yourself. No. Just, just you can't. It's not possible. Nobody's going to work as hard as you. Nobody's going to take as good a care of your truck as you will. Nobody's going to get the fuel mileage you will. You just, you have to understand that immediately. You know, you know just think. Way up getting 9.2 miles per gallon. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. That was, that was 2012. Was it? It was just mainly just continuing on, you know, banking money trying to figure what I was going to do, you know, I mean, I was, you know, again, the wheels are turning and, you know, Jimmy and I had all these thoughts and plans. He, he had some pretty grandiose ideas that he wanted to try to do. And, uh, of course I was still, you know, I was still going to the CMC again. And then by this time I was on the staff, you know, uh, so I was actually working the CMC and I think, I don't remember what year we, we changed the CMC from October to April. Long in there somewhere. It could have been that year. I don't remember. But, but that was a big part of my life too. Was you know networking and and starting to to have relationships with all these people. You know these four or five hundred people that go to the CMC every year. You know they're all, you know, um, uh, just um, uh, you know top one percent type. You know, I mean, really, really doing things right. Good businesses, strong businesses. You know, good good business practices. You know. So, you know, just sharing that, um, the radio show was at midnight back then, you know, so the, the Kevin, the call-in show was at midnight. I was a pretty regular contributor to that because I was driving every night. So, and uh, when, when I wasn't talking on the radio, we were talking on the phone to each other, the the other networkers, you know. So, stayed busy pretty much. I talk, talked on the phone most all night, you know. To other, and there was a couple of other drivers at Transport America that I'd, friended up with that also were doing like there was a lot of Indianapolis to Minneapolis stuff and a couple of those guys got to know me through the radio show and so we would start talking at each other at night you know and kind of keep keep each other awake and so forth so but really other than that that 2012 was just a big growth year for us because we went we, we doubled the trucks mm-hmm. doubled the income you know and then continued on with our with our growth in, in, in the, our education and so forth of, of this industry, you know, again, I'm still learning, you know, I, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff I still was, was trying to get my, my head around, you know, 2013, I had made the decision to switch over to the specialized, uh, flatbed division at Anderson. And I, I wanted to, my plan was, I thought, okay, well, I just did two years of specialized man. I did pad wrap. I did household goods. I'd really kind of increase, increase my profile. And I thought, well, if I go over and do this specialized thing and I start doing uh, oversize, because I, I had this plan that from the time I started, I wanted to have a paid for truck in five years. 
you know, I knew that leasing was a temporary thing. And I, I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to make enough money and all this stuff. And I want to have a paid for truck in five years. I knew I was going to have to get a truck. And, and uh, it, the big question then was, was Cummins or Detroit? You know, which, which, which is it? So I picked a, a 386 Peterbilt and, uh, whew, God, through the day, the truck from hell, just a nightmare. Changed everything from the turbo to the tailpipe. Nothing ever fixed it. Couldn't keep it out of the shop. Cost me fifty thousand dollars in seven months. It was just, you know, I would I would get in the hole, I would dig myself out of the hole and fall right back in it, and the truck would break down. In uh, I think it was July, I uh, July maybe early August, I took the kids to uh, Kings Island Amusement Park. We were living in Columbus and. I had a check engine light, so I took it to Columbus Peterbilt, dropped it off, went to Kings Island, come back. Hey, your truck's fixed. All right, great. I said, uh, well, hey, man, I appreciate you getting my truck fixed. He said, yeah, you're good until the next time it breaks. I'm like, <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, vote of confidence. Turns out he was right because 650 miles later in Des Moines, it, it quit again and shut down, and I had to be towed. And uh, I walked in. To, I was two days there. Some guy comes and, you know, because back then Canada loads were the, were the money. I watched some other guy drive off with my $10,000 Canada load. I walked into the shop and I said, can you tell me why I quit? And he said, nah, I don't have a clue. You know, we changed the fitting. We recalibrated the computer. While I was sitting in the motel, I had a friend that I had met in orientation that January who had been at ATS. And I think he got caught up in all that CDL uh, uh, sleep apnea garbage. So he had left and gone and leased a truck from Lone Mountain and took it to Landstar and was loving life. And every time I talked to him, his name was Elvis, black dude named Elvis. And he's like, oh, you got to you got to man, you got to come over to Landstar. Man, I'm telling you, this is where it's at. Uh, so I called Lone Mountain and I she answered the phone. I said, what's the oldest truck you got? She said, 2007 Freightliner. I said, I'm on my way. I bobtailed over there. Um, uh, no, I took an empty trailer. Uh, I went over there. I looked at the truck, begged, barred, and stole to to get the money for the down payment. Called Anderson, said I'm done. He's like, well, let me get you another truck. Nope, 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 nope. I'm done. I got me another truck. It's right here. Started. That's when I got my first taste of the Landstar qualification process. <laughs> and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I called every day. And I'm living in a motel room. I'm riding a bicycle that I went and got from Walmart. Because I, I, I had no way to, I, I had no way, you know, I don't even think we had Uber yet. And so I'm riding a bicycle <laughs> around Council Bluffs, Iowa. And when I got done to got, go let her leave, I took the Walmart, uh, the bike back to Walmart and, and turned it back in for the money. But I waited, waited, waited. And I finally, I was like, I can't do this. But you had to have an, you had to have an, a carrier before they would let you sign the lease. And I called, I said, well, what, can I use Anderson? She was like, sure, you can use Anderson. I called my dispatcher back, my fleet manager. And I said, hey, I spot a truck. Um, if I lease it on there, can I get back on your board? He said, absolutely. And within three hours, I was headed to St. Cloud. Bobtailed up there, had to go through orientation again. I made 100, I'm not exact on these numbers, but I'm close. I made like $155,000 gross on my 1099 in 2013. $70,000 of that was done in my truck, September, October, November, December, mm-hmm. uh, August, September, October, November, December, five months, more than half 
of the revenue was earned. I mean, I was slaying it. I had one net settlement was over $6,000 from one load. They had these, uh, they had some deal with Walmart where you would, they were trying to get these stand-ups that they put in the, in the aisles, you know, for like a product deodorant or whatever. They were trying to ship them with LTL carriers, but LTL carriers were screwing them up. So Anderson said, well, Hey, come and put them on our trailer and we'll just do 20 stops. So I would have these loads where I'd have like 20, 22, 24 stops, and the money was obscene. It was absolutely obscene. By the time I got to the end of 2013, I had dug myself out of the hole. And, of course, we'd lost our house. Uh, thank God our van was paid for. Um, but uh, but I was I – was, by the end of 2013, I was back into money, and I had my own truck. I wasn't at Landstar yet, but I was getting close. Well, 2013 was a big year. A lot of things changed. Number one, um, the new hours of service requiring two consecutive nights of 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. in order to get a 34-hour reset in. What a disaster. So my world came crashing down at FedEx um, because it cost me $900 per truck per week to lose that day. (sighs) Nine hundred dollars per truck per week is what it cost me, mm-hmm. and of course it cost the driver in that truck money because he wasn't we couldn't we had to get a reset. So um, that's when I started moving trucks around. I happened to move one of them to Landstar, and um, I went to, because or, orientation was in Indianapolis and I was in Indianapolis anyway. I attended the orientation with the driver just so I could learn. About this land, you know, I had met a lot of drivers at Landstar through the CMC, and I mean, I, I knew a lot about Landstar, but I never had firsthand knowledge, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went with the driver, attended the, the orientation with the driver as the truck owner, not as the operator. And uh, so that was, you know, obviously an interesting experience. My first, you know, and I have to admit to you, I was highly disappointed, you know, because in my mind, Landstar was the elite, the epitome of where you want to be. And the orientation was about the worst I'd ever sat through, you know, and any kind of thing I've ever been involved with. And uh, it was just, it was incomplete. It was, it was, it was un, un, unimpressive. Um, I had just left a lot to be desired. And so, you know, I left with mixed emotions, you know. Now, the opportunity ended up being fantastic, which is really what I wanted. But, you know, I was pretty critical, and and they 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 handed out a survey, and I I really really I was very 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 um, explicit about what I thought they needed to do, you know, to their program, you know, to make it better. And um, so I'm sure we got to start off on a great foot right there. <laughs> so so I've got a truck at Landstar now. I'm still running I'm still running my truck, but I'm running it only five or. Um, yeah, five days a week. So, um, but I'm moving. I'm, I, I moved other. I, I put put one of my other trucks with UPS freight. I put one of them with um, oh the household North group. American. And it wasn't North American. It was um, another one. Oh, right. I thought you said North American van yeah. lines. Well, it was some household. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah. Uh, red, white, and blue trucks. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, so I was experimenting with what we were going to do, you know, so I was trying to last, I thought, well, we can't stay here. So let's just move them around. I stayed, stayed, I stayed put, 
uh, and I had everybody else. We just tried different things. And, and of course, long story short, all of them ended up eventually being at Landstar. So I was dispatching a truck at Landstar, you know, for this, for my driver, Charlie. And I mean, we were killing it. I'm thinking, well, damn, if I can do this for one truck, I can do it for two. Yeah. So March of that year, I go to Transport America and I say, guys, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I'm out. Well, it literally broke their heart. I mean, there's there. They tried everything they could do to get me to stay. And I said, guys, from what I can tell from my truck at Landstar, there's no, I mean, I, listen, I have no hard feelings. I, I, I would rather stay here. If there was a way that I could make this money with this opportunity here, I would stay. And they tried everything to try to make that happen. And I said, look, guys, it, you just, you cannot compete with this. And they finally, you know, they, they finally agreed. I said, look, I mean, for a lot of guys, and they're right. I mean, at the time, I thought they were blowing smoke, but they're right. Because I'm, I'm not the first person who left there to go to Landstar. And right. you know, they said, look, you know, a lot of guys go and come back because, you know, they're not used to doing a lot of these things that we do for you. You know, probably you're not going to have that problem because you're pretty much got your ass together, you know. And so, um, and so I, you know, I, I left. And I went to Landstar as a as a driver, and Charlie and I we, we ran together though. So we ended up doing uh, uh, propane out in the Chicago market all summer long from from Labor Day from Memorial Day to Labor Day. We did for a week and we killed it. We killed it. Uh, and then, I mean life was good. I mean even though the other trucks were other places, we we're still doing pretty good. But I could see their handwriting on the wall that we were all coming to Landstar, and I could just project out what the what it was going to be. And I, uh, I was a little concerned because uh, my quarterly taxes were not reflecting this additional income. So I had a meeting with my accountant, and this was in July. And I said, uh, you know, here's what, I, here's what I'm projecting to do. We really need to adjust, you know, my taxes. And I said, the only thing that can change, because we were talking about, you know, what's the upside, what's the downside, you know, what's reality here, you know, is this, what's, what, what's the worst can happen? I said, the worst can happen is something happens to me and I cannot function. That's the only thing that stops this train. Labor Day weekend, 2013. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the bank on Monday afternoon, getting ready to get in my private vehicle to drive to Indianapolis, okay, to start my thing, okay. I'm in, I'm in a little two-seater Saturn Sky, a little Roadster. Tops down, nice day, sitting in a traffic light. I hear these squealing tires. Oh. Now the corner of my eye, I see this car in a flat spin coming right at me. And there's a car in front of me. There's a car behind me. I'm in a, I'm in a line of traffic. Not a thing I can do. And this car just slams ass, front, ass in front, front right into the driver's door, my little roadster. And uh, broke my arm in four places. Oh. And so I didn't know it at first. And I thought, well... It, uh, Mary Lou was with me. I checked to make sure she was okay. She had a little seatbelt trauma, you know. And I thought, well, you know, we're good. And all of a sudden, I couldn't move my left arm. And all of a sudden, I started hurting really, really bad. I look over there, and my bicep or my shoulder was the size of a basketball already right. in just a uh-huh. matter of a couple minutes. So I get a very expensive ambulance ride one mile to a hospital, $2,500. And, uh, <laughs> Literally one mile to the hospital and uh, find out my arm's broken in four places. Guess what I'm not going to be doing for a while? Driving. 
And so I called my buddy Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, I need you to get qualified at Transport America and drive this truck. And uh, I, gave, I, think I, I think I misspoke there. I hadn't moved my truck to, to Lancer yet. We're, I was still at Transport America when I had this wreck. So Charlie was there by himself. Okay. So Jimmy goes to orientation, comes to Indianapolis and drives my truck for me for about eight weeks while I recover. And it keeps my FedEx route going, even with the one night less because of the, the reset. And then after that is when I moved it. When I got back to Transport America, I then moved the truck to uh, to Landstar. Yeah. So that was 2013. You know, I mean, it was a really, really, really disruptive thing, um, obviously, from a from a personal standpoint. You know, being hurt and, and being, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you guys. I'd never been in so much pain. I, there was, it was, um, it was 10 days before I could get my arms. My, my, this happened on a Monday, Wednesday, a week later is when my surgery was to correct it. 10 days. Later. In those 10 days, I was on a liquid opioid because the pills wouldn't last. The pills you could only take every six hours and they would run out at four hours. And I would uh-huh. be in so much pain for two hours. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't even lay down. I had, I, I sat in a chair. For 10 days because I couldn't lay down. And so uh, they would switch me to a liquid form of, of, uh, of opioid because it would last longer and, and I could get through to the next dose before, uh, you know, I would be in pain again. So I, I existed as an opioid zombie for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Hadn't wow. really had any sleep, you know, to speak of. I remember going over for the surgeon. They were going to give me a, um, what do you call the shots you give ladies? Epidural epidural they were going to give me an epidural you know for the surgery so uh that was, that's an 1800 dollars shot by the way okay so they gave me this epidural in my right right through the top of my shoulder and instantly i was no i had no pain and i i just remember i went to sleep for the first time in 10 days and i slept like a baby okay well there was an interruption my case got moved down because an emergency came in and it got moved down so far away from the start time that the epidural wore off oh. so i had to get a second 1800 epidural to to get me you know into the surgery but i mean i finally got some sleep i, I just i said look i don't care as long as i can go back to sleep and get some rest i don't care what you have to do to make it happen you know and so uh, but you know, and they they actually had a replacement shoulder a, a steel looking contraption that they were going to put in me but uh, during the surgery, they came out and talked to my wife and said, well, it's not as bad once we're in there as we thought. I, we think we can fix it. Now, there's a chance that it still may fail. We might have to go back in and put this replacement shoulder in. And Mary Lou said, well, let's, let's try it then. So they went in. They put nine screws and a plate, which I still have, by the way, in my arm. And it hasn't, it hasn't failed. So it, it worked, worked out. So I don't have a shoulder replacement after all. I've got my shoulder. Uh, but in that bone that goes from your the ball down to your elbow, I've got a metal plate about, I don't know, six inches, eight inches long in there with nine screws in there. So, Wow. So that's my 2013. Uh, <laughs> so 2014 uh, started out pretty good, took my two weeks off, got a uh, – got, I'm still doing those crazy Walmart loads. And uh, so the money was still great. Well, in the um, – in the state of Minnesota, 
there was some weird requirement. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember that at at uh, ATS, the owner operator's trucks were plated in Minnesota. So you had to have a sticker on the windshield, uh, just like a state inspection sticker. And uh, all the lease trucks were plated in Indiana. So when it was time for my federal annual inspection that they did twice a year, where we do them every 120 days, um, I had to go. It had been six months, and I had to go to Minneapolis. So they sent me over to this Freightliner dealer that the carrier owns, by the way. found that out later. And this guy comes up with this $6,000 bill. And I'm like, no, no, no. Well, I start looking at it, and it's a bunch of bullshit. The grill. One of the little bolts with the screws. Was, I, need, I needed a new grill instead of one of those $20 screws. And so I start going through and I'm checking off all the stuff that's not DOT. And I got it down to 1500 bucks. But I had just I had just been off for two weeks. And I said, guys, I, I, don't, I don't have this $1,500 right now. So I had dropped the truck off at the, the shop to have the inspection done. And I went over to the corporate office. And I, I had sat down with the VP of the van division. And he thanked me for my service and told me I was number one guy. I was their number one revenue generator on the van division. And, uh, you know, it was just a great conversation. We talked about the future of freight company and all this stuff. And, and I come out of his office and I go to my fleet manager and I said, hey, man, listen, um, I don't have 1500 bucks right now to do this. And, of course, it was dog bones, as you can imagine, and something else. I don't. And he was like, well, we're not a bank. And I'm like. Okay. Now, by this point, I'd already talked to lots of people at Landstar, and I knew Landstar would give you know loans, and and Landstar would help you out, and I just assumed so would Anderson, and so they put me in down in the, in the seat beside this wench at her desk, and she made me beg. I literally was on the verge of tears uh, for them to give me a thousand dollar promissory note and take five hundred dollars out of my escrow account, and they made me beg for it, and. Um, as soon as I signed that piece of paper, I walked out to my truck, got my laptop out, renewed my application for Landstar, and I was gone within three weeks. And uh, uh, the and they uh, wanted to know why. Oh, they asked a lot. Hey, well, why are you now? Why are you doing this? I said, I finally said, listen, guys, here's the deal. Y'all are really good at leasing trucks. You really are. I mean, I I, I can't say a bad thing about you. Um, your your freight's good. Your customers are great. Um, your your lease process is probably the least parasitic of any that exists in the industry, but this ain't a good place for owner operators. You know, it's just it's just that I I don't fit here with my truck. And I said, so I'm going to Landstar. And uh, so you know, I I went home in April and peeled all the stickers off the truck and went through the process. And uh, you and I were talking the other day about something, and and it made me I started digging into my my settlements from 2014 and I was shocked to look back and see that coming in being a dart without feathers, you know, having no clue what I was doing. I was doing, you know, five, $6,000 a week to the truck. I was, I was killing it when I came here, but I was so free. I didn't have, I didn't have a dispatcher telling me what I couldn't do or wouldn't do and didn't have anybody to talk to or answer to. And I just, all I had to do was go out and run freight. And so, uh, our third child was due um, in October, and um, about, I don't know, a month before he was born, I got this call out of the blue from an agent, and they said, hey, uh, we've got this dedicated run that's uh, close to your house. 
we're trying to get this business. Would you like to run it one week and see what you think? And I said, sure, I'll try it once. And uh, that's the same customer I haul for today. I've had a relationship with him for five years, but complete, I wasn't even looking for it. Um, it just came out of the blue, and and I started working for them and and uh, pretty much exclusively and, and have been with them the majority of, of five years. Well, 2014, all the trucks were at Landstar, and I finally put a driver in my truck for the first time. I was actually a fleet owner not a driver of course 2014 started you know freight became a little more of a challenge starting in 2014 you know we were having to work a little harder to make the same money you know it was a little bit of a of a rate recession much like it is right now you know so i had all these trucks at landstar so it was a good thing i wasn't a driver because it was a full-time job as a dispatcher to keep the guys in freight to keep their incomes up we expect them to be so, you know, I've got really good at dispatching and finding loads and keeping. Um, and that's when I st- started really developing my strategy for, for dedicated freight because, it, you know, it, 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 I mean, if you're trying to load four trucks every day, all day long, that, that's a lot of work. It's a big job. And because, uh, you know, things always are changing. Loads are, loads are canceling and whatnot. And, you know, trucks breaking down. You, I mean, it's just a lot. So the dedicated thing was an easier route for me. And by the way, it turned out that it made it easier for the, us to be consistent with our with our driver pay because we knew what they were going to make. Mm-hmm. So I started developing those relationships. Some of the agents that we were using for, to do a lot of FedEx. Obviously, I was very partial to FedEx because I had a very very long experience with them, and so I was attracted to that even here at Landstar. So we were doing a lot of FedEx stuff, you know, at, at that time, and and um, we even did some Walmart whatever you call that power only Walmart stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was, again, it was pretty consistent and it kept, uh, kept the income up for the drivers. So 2014 really was just, uh, a de- getting used to being at Landstar, keeping all the trucks busy, you know, me kind of developing my skills more as a, as a, as a load selector at Landstar on the load board, learning how to use the board, you know, how to use some of the tools, developing relationships, Really, I don't think anything too uh, unusual happened in, in 2014 and even 2015. Now, 2015, I, I started the lease purchase program with two of my trucks to the drivers. So we started that in 2015. So uh, a couple of my drivers had, you know, had ex- expressed interest in owning trucks and, and and whatnot, and so I agreed to let them buy the trucks they were driving for me on a two-year lease purchase and so that was the first time for that we were working through that program and setting up how that was going to work what that was going to look like for the drivers looking at it landstar because they still had to be they had to actually work under my bco number you know so we had to work out how the settlements were going to work and and everything so that's that's really the only thing that that happened in 2015 for me, that was that was different, but it got two of my trucks, uh, two of my four trucks were then committed to be sold. You know, mm-hmm. probably that's when I started thinking about, well, I might scale this thing down a little bit and then maybe look at, you know, look at pulling the plug and retiring in a couple of years, you know, after I get try to find a way of getting, getting the other two, you know, sold. Mm-hmm. So sure, I, that was when we were 
that was our strategy was to sort of let the thing sort of a trit and just let these trucks go to drivers and probably not replace them, you know, so. 2015, doing the dedicated run, and but I knew when I took that run, I, I needed more money. You know, it wasn't by itself. It wasn't enough. So I started looking around and, and I found that, that I could I could hustle home on Friday and um, pick up a load around the house, take it up to Michigan or Ohio and deliver it Monday morning, pick up another load, bring it back Tuesday and deliver it close to where my dedicated run started. Man, the market was hot. It was, I was, I was making killer money. Uh, I had my dedicated run as an anchor. I would do these little extra loads. I would still get my restart, but you know, I was making, you know, an extra, in some cases, almost $2,000 a week, just, doing these little extra runs because they were crazy. And, uh, May we, we moved, uh, into a, into a, a, a new house that was kind of a fixer upper. And I, I remember going to what an idiot went to this big appliance store and, uh, we needed a new set of appliances. Like we needed a hole in the head, but I was making all this money. And, uh, I said these out loud, I'm like, well, you know, I mean, <sighs> I just go run an extra load, you know, that, that's all I got to do. I can make, I can make $2,000 on the weekend. So, uh, that was great until June and it all just disappeared. I mean, or it's probably July. It just went away and all those loads were no longer in play. They didn't exist. And I had a breakdown June 15th. It was so minor. It was so the truck just started running funny, and I wasn't having um, – I, I couldn't – it wouldn't boost. It turned out to be the boost sensor, the ambient uh, – or the barometric pressure sensor. I had put a V – I, I stopped at a Freightliner dealer, and they plugged it up, and uh, and I said, what – he said, it's either your V-pod or your boost sensor. And I said, which one do you think it is? He said, V-pod. So I went and bought a V-pod, got it down the road, changed the V-pod, didn't fix it. Had to leave it at the Freightliner dealer. That ended up being a 900 and some dollar repair. And I didn't have the money. That was when the bells, the warning bells started to go off for me that I had managed to survive a lot of things. But the fact that I had to go to Landstar for 900 bucks for just a minor repair and the stress started piling up then and, and the apprehension of, of, hey, I'm in a really precarious situation here. And um, about uh, August, I took a load up to Connecticut uh, and it paid so well, I was just going to deadhead back to my dedicated run. And on the way up there, I remember I have like the vision. I don't know exactly. I was climbing some hill somewhere and the truck coughed really hard and hesitated and it put out this giant plume of white smoke. And I was like, wow, that was, that was weird. And then it didn't do anything else. And, uh, I stopped, uh, back in, um, Greencastle PA at the TA on the, on the deadhead back. And the next morning, my low coolant light came on and I'm like, well, that's, that's weird. I couldn't find any sign of a leak. Well, over the next week or so, I realized that I was pushing water out the overflow and, uh, talked to my friend Dan has been on the podcast and you know, we went over a thousand different things that it could be. And, uh, December 21st, um, my dedicated runs off and I picked up a couple of loads just to do before Christmas. Uh, I found out that it was a blown head gasket. I had dropped a liner and on December 21st, it let go. 
and uh, I was four days before Christmas with what I assumed was kind of a blown engine. I didn't really know what was going to happen. And a friend of mine came and rescued me, took me to his house. My wife came and got me. And I had no idea at that point what was going to happen. And it would be, it was after the first of the year before we got the, um, the news as to what would happen next. Well, 2015, um, 16. Well, I got to go back to 2015. Okay. I I did buy another truck. I found a truck that I, couldn't resist i did buy another truck and so when i bought that other truck i put the driver that was in my truck in it and i got back in my truck because now the two guys that were doing the lease purchase they were doing their own dispatch and everything so i really felt like i wasn't working anywhere so i needed something to keep me busy so i went back and started driving my truck again you know so that went on in in 2015 and 20 going into 2016 uh, my driver that was in my truck that i put in the truck that i bought um, he had an accident, totaled the truck and it was his fault. And so Lance R terminated him. So the truck was only had, I had less than a year. It was totaled and we junked it and got the insurance money. And I didn't really replace that truck again. Um, I did start looking for another driver later on that year and, uh, did end up finding another driver to start driving my truck again. But Really not anything going on in 2016 other than we're just trying, again, um, rates were a challenge. Um, and, um, you know, I was concerned that the two guys who were buying the truck from me, I was worried about whether or not they were going to be able to, to, to you know, to, to make it. So I was really working with them real closely, trying to keep them running. One of the guys was doing great. One of them was just lazy anyway, but... He made enough to suit him. It wouldn't. It would never have suited me. But uh, since it didn't matter. He was. He was. He was paying his truck payment. So I. I didn't really concern myself too much about it. 2016 to me was was pretty uh, pretty uneventful. You know, the fact that we lost that one truck. But I think at the time, I, my mindset was still that, you know, I still want to try to let this thing sort of gradually. I, I was really trying to find. Um, what I was going to do with my truck, you know, the, the, the metrosexual, I didn't, you know, it wasn't something that anybody really wanted. It was the nicest truck in my fleet. It was worth the most money, but I just didn't know what I was going to do with it. You know, so I thought, well, I'll put a driver in and just drive it as far along as I can and make them make some money off having a driver, you know? So yeah. that was my thinking then. And that's a hard Raleigh, you know, and that turned out to be okay. You know, older guy, he was treated the truck nice and, Lived in Indianapolis, so it was pretty close. Had him run dedicated freight, you know. Uh, I think uh, starting that year and next year, we were doing over eight grand a, a week to that truck, you know, mm. on a FedEx freight. So 2016 started for us. We we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I dropped that truck off four days before Christmas, and and I'm like, what do you what do you, what, do you, what, what do you think? They're like, man, we're not even going to look at it until after the first of the year. And I'm like, okay. So went home. I think I had 500 bucks to my name. Met with our pastor because I'm like, we're screwed. And he and I explained the situation to him, and he was like, yeah, you need a miracle. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure do. So I'd asked, I'd asked him if he thought it was appropriate that I do one of these online fundraiser things because GoFundMe had kind of just started. And he was like, yeah, man, you're in a legitimate bad spot. So I, I wrote this out and rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it. And finally, I gave it to my wife, and she looked at it, and she was like, yeah, it's good. So I just I posted it, turned my phone off, went to bed. Next morning, I woke up, and like 2500 bucks had been donated. 
And I, you know, I was like, wow, okay. All right. Well, we'll survive the next few weeks. And, um, so the, the estimate had come in, uh, from the Freightliner dealer, $24,000 for a new engine Mm. and, uh, had $500. And, um, I'm like, well, I'm done. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm finished. I, I had called Lone Mountain because I still owed $5,000 on the truck. And they're talking about, well, we'll take it on a trade. We'll put you in a, a newer truck. But I, I was still terrified of, at that point, a 2011, 2012 truck with those emissions. And I just thought, man, that's how the frying pan into the fire. I got a uh, Facebook message from a guy that I'd never met, uh, been Facebook friends with, coincidentally, since January of 2011. And uh, he says, call me. So I called him and uh, he said, listen, uh, my wife and I, we read your story. And uh, he said, uh, we believe that we're supposed to help you. And I'm like, OK, well, that's awesome. He's like, so we're going to we're going to pay for your engine. And I said, you're, you're going to do what? And uh, he said, yeah. So he sent me a twenty four thousand dollar check in the mail. And uh, I think the deal was two thousand of it was a gift and twenty two thousand we would repay. So we, I got the truck fixed. The uh, the engine came in just under twenty thousand. So we had some little bit of money left over. But I still had not reconciled all those feelings that I started having in June 2015. All of those feelings of you are in over your head. You have no idea what you're doing. You are digging a hole you can't get out of. You have made a giant mess and it's coming home to roost. And uh, but I just kept pushing forward. And all of 2016 was just I struggled to find freight. Uh, rates rates were not rates were not great, but but they you know they were they were good enough if I would have had my mind right to be able to see it. But I was so I was so clouded with with guilt and um you know trying to figure out why in the world would this idiot send me this check and. You know, and I have made I knew I'd made this mess. I knew I was the only one responsible for it. Why in the world am I being bailed out? I absolutely do not deserve this. So my my best friend, Zeke, he and I talked ourselves into running team, which was good because we got to spend time with each other and, and we had a great time. But he had stuff going on in his life. And about the time that culminated, my, my father-in-law just unexpectedly passed away. And that freaked me out because I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, here he was just just riding the tractor one day and just fell over dead. And and uh, and what have I done? You know, and I just I just lost it. I just completely flipped out and put the truck up for sale and came home, signed up to drive a school bus of all things. I mean, just <laughs> what a, I mean, you had. I mean, oh, I, it just. And so I, I stayed home for, for two months, and the truck was parked at our church. W- what the two-month break actually gave me some clarity. And I thought, oh, wait, wait, you've got a truck. It's sitting right there. And I had paid it off. I would paid the last payments. I had the title. And I, it's, I thought, that truck's sitting right there. What, what are you doing? And so I thought, well, what would I do, you know, if I started all over again? How, what, how would I do this different? And I started thinking of a kind of a different way to pick loads. And and uh, so December 27th, I went back on the road and I kind of sort of got my mind right. You know, I was at least kind of heading in a better direction. And uh, so going into January, dude, I, I had I had the best January I'd had in five years, you know, 
and I was like, wow. And of course I looked around me and everybody's freaking out because the market sucks so bad, but I was killing it, you know, and I was doing that 1250 a day. I'm like, wow. And so I get to, uh, February and, uh, I had one little hiccup where I was, all, I was sick for a week. I had the flu. I put a turbo on the truck and, uh, I, I was, I was headed back. And when I got to the end of March, I looked at my numbers and I had done $50,000 to the truck in three months in the just horrible quarter, economically speaking. But I was on track to do 200000 until April 7th. And uh, I started the truck one morning at uh, Petro in Scranton and it was running rough. And I went to move it out of the parking space and to get it into the shop. And it went from like 500 RPMs to 3,500 RPMs in less than a second. And started knocking, and I don't, I don't, I don't. Somebody told me it broke a piston or something, but uh, uh, I knew then we are done. No, there's no fairy godmother. There's no intervention from heaven above. This we are, we are done. This is over. So I'll go ahead and finish 17 real quick. So uh, I had made this joke when I put the truck back on the road at the end of December. I'm like, look, hell, if all else fails, I'll just go drive for Swift. You know, I'll go be a trainer. They make good money. And uh, so I'm sitting at the uh, Detroit shop in Scranton, and I've got this piece of paper in my hand. It was an ECM report. And the guy walked in, and he said, man, 3,577 RPMs. I don't know what's broke, but it's broke bad. And I'm literally on the phone with Swift Recruiter. You know, and of course, this bitch, she didn't, you know, I'm I'm on the verge of tears. I'm like, I'm an owner-operator. My truck just blew up. You know, she didn't give a damn about, you know, my problem. And so 10 days later, I was driving for Swift. You know, I stayed there 30 days until I figured out, you know, you're, you're really, you know, you're really just digging the hole out the bottom. And so I, I worked some temporary local jobs and, and found a job with air gas. And uh, it was a union job, 19 bucks an hour. And I worked there through the end of, of December. But I, I pretty much was like, well, this owner-operator thing is completely done. It's over. The opportunity's gone. I'm obviously not cut out for this. I'm not made for this because, I mean, I have screwed this up on a level that is so complete, that is so uh, final that there's just no coming back from this. So you just better get used to running in the rat wheel like everybody else because you are not any good at this. Well, 2017, I met uh, a guy at the Louisville Truck Show. I was I used to go to the Louisville Truck Show, and I would go one day. It's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And uh, Thursday, Friday, I would go for my own benefit. But Saturday, I always spent at the Landstar booth because a lot of drivers go to the show. They they come by the booth, and they don't realize that to drive at Landstar, you have to own a truck. And so a lot of people would come by there and not have a truck. It was a good recruiting place for me. You know, I was always looking for drivers. and. So um, this guy comes along, real good-looking, young African-American guy, clean-cut. We start talking, and he's active duty, special forces instructor down in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And his grandfather was a trucker. His father was a trucker. He already owned a, 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 a cab over, cab cab over, older truck that he just had for the shit of it, you know. And he says, look, I'm going to be in the, I'm getting out of the army in a few years. And he said, I want to be a fleet owner. He said, I want to own, I want to drive and own trucks and, and, uh, 
sort it just so happened. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it just was a coincidence that I was doing what he wanted to do. So, um, we talked for a long time and we exchanged numbers and, you know, we went our separate ways and I'd basically forgotten about him, you know? And so, um, um, I don't know, a couple months later he called me and he goes, well, you remember me? I said, yeah, sure. I do. He said, well, I just bought a truck. I'm like, you what? He goes, yeah, I just bought a truck. I said, what'd you buy? It's pretty much everything I told him not to. When I completely, it was no, it was no five. It wasn't, it wasn't completely what I didn't tell him to buy, but it, 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 he, he, he didn't do a lot of homework on the truck. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want you to, uh, to manage it for me. He said, I'll pay you to, you know, you, you run it just like it's yours, you know? Okay. No problem. So I get the truck and I get him, get a couple of drivers in it for him, you know, or, or and, uh, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a struggle because the truck needed a lot of work and, Every time I get a driver in it that was decent, the truck would would need something, and of course the driver didn't want to hang around while that happened. So we went through a few drivers, and finally uh, we had a driver in it, and uh, it, it, was, it had been using a lot of coolant. I mean, a lot of coolant. And so this driver called. He's in Nashville, and he goes, "Dude," he said, "I, I don't know if this is gonna make it back or not." I said, "Well, do the best you can." So he, I said, "Just don't turn it off." I said, just whatever you do, don't turn it off. So he gets it all the way back. To in, and I want, I'm trying to get it to my Detroit shop in Indianapolis. He gets it all the way back, and they're closed. So he drives it down the street to the Hardee's. And he, for one reason, for whatever reason, he shuts it off and stays the night at Hardee's. And the next morning, of course, it won't start back because it's hydrolocked. So I had to tow the truck into the to the shop from Hardee's, which is two doors down. And... Um, that's $8,000. Well, yeah, we get the news that it's hydrolocked, you know, twenty-five grand easy, you know. So I talked to Niven, who was the owner of the truck, guy in the Army. He's like, man, I don't have, there's no way I have not had to buy that money. He says, there's just not in, there's no way. So this is right about holidays, you know, about Christmas. So I thought, well, let's, let's just think about it for a while. So in January, this would have been of twenty. 18, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I said, look, here's what we'll do. Niven. I said, uh, I'll, I'll pay for the motor. You sign the title over to me. I'm going to run the truck for three years and make my money back. Then the three years, I'll sell you the truck back for an agreed on price. We'll agree on it. And so we wrote it up. He, he was happy to do that because it took all this pressure off of him. What was he going to do with the truck in Indianapolis? You know, him and down right, north. Right. Active duty army. So I fixed the motor in the truck, and um, I don't think I ever pulled the truck out of the shop. So I see this um, Facebook post from this guy, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. I mean, I was I was reading a Facebook post from a guy who said, "I'm a failure, and it's my fault." Um. Here's what I did, and it's not Landstar's fault. It's not the market's fault. It's not the agent's fault. It's not the rate's fault. It's my fault. And that was so drastically different than anything else I'd ever read from a driver on Facebook. I said, you know, I'm really, really, really attracted to this guy just because of the fact that he's a he'll admit what what his shortcomings are. And I needed a driver for this for this truck, you know, that I just bought. 
So I thought, well, what have I got to lose? So I reached out to this guy, you know. I thought, well, you know, we'll see what happens. I said, look, I'm very interested. Well, you know, he's like blood in the water, you know. All these different guys at Landstar who need drivers, they're all they're all trying to reach out to this guy, you know, because everybody's see, seeing the same thing I'm seeing. And I see all these responses, and I think, well, you know, what, what's the chances of him contacting me? And probably at this point in time, probably I hand it over to Chris because the person who I'm talking about was Chris Polk. I'll, I'll let him give you the rest of that story. So so 2017, I'm, I'm working at Air Gas, and um, there's not much anything more I hated completely um, than that job. And it wasn't – the job itself wasn't that bad. But there's worldwide, there's there's a I don't know, twenty five thousand people that work for Air Liquide, the, the the global corporation. And there's like eight of them that are union. And it's this this bunch in Charleston, West Virginia, that has that has signed up to be in the union. And I'm boys, you talk about a cluster. I mean, I have never seen people work so hard to get out of work. And so I go in there. And the only way I make it, only way that I can survive or even hope to survive is to work 20 hours overtime. So I would go in at 3 in the morning. I would stay till 3 in the afternoon. I would drive 45 minutes home. I would fall in the front door, go to sleep, get up at 1.30, uh, go back, you know. And um, and I, I was doing okay. I, you know, we were still way behind on our bills, and and I didn't know how we were going to get there. And I've got – I'm fending off – the Wells Fargo and the mortgage company and, and, uh, they've all had enough of every story that I've had to tell them. Uh, but I'm doing all I can. So, uh, I worked there through the, you know, through the end of, of the year and, um, I get to into January and it was somewhere in the second or third week of January. And it was like four o'clock in the morning and it was like five degrees outside. And I was on this godforsaken forklift and I was freezing my ass off. And I thought, God, this sucks. I would rather be driving 3,500 miles a week right now in a sleeper truck than this godforsaken day cab dealing with this forklift and this cold-ass weather. You know, I thought, this is terrible. It is, it's, it's awful. And it was at that moment, I can still see it in my mind. I'm lifting up this pallet of big compressed gas cylinders thinking, you moron. You, you, you just dipshit. You, you fool. You, you killed the goose laying the golden eggs. Uh, you made this giant mess. And now here you are on this forklift. And I thought, well, I can't do nothing about it. So I, I got home or I, hell, I might've done it. I might've pulled my phone out and wrote it right there on that, on that forklift. But I, I put it out in this Facebook group for Landstar, and I said, look, y'all, um, I, I, I screwed it up. I, I, I failed. It wasn't the agent's fault. It wasn't Landstar's fault. It wasn't the government's fault. It wasn't the president's fault. It was my fault. I did this. And so here's the – if you think that there's coming some day when you will be able to get everything right, it, that day's right now. It's, it's not tomorrow. It's today. You've got to get your stuff together because – when it hits the fan, you know, it's 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 going to be on you. So like Larry said, man, the messages start coming and, hey, I got a truck. And, uh, wow, there's some stupid people that work for Landstar and have trucks. And uh, th- listen, their their pitch to get to come to drive for them 
is is subpar. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I, somebody tagged you or you tagged yourself or something. And so I called him from the first time he I answered the phone. I was like, oh, OK, I, I think this guy might be something. Now, I've not told my wife a word of this. I haven't told her about my Jerry Maguire moment where I've wrote my <clears throat> little manifesto. And, you know, uh, I've said a word. So we talked for a minute and we we, we were going to meet in Moorhead for like an interview. And I wish, I mean, if there could have been a video in this house in the room just to my left to watch me tiptoeing around my wife to try to get to explain to her what I was thinking, because um, I didn't have a real good track record of coming up with great ideas. <laughs> and I said, I said, hey, you know, there's an opportunity kind of sort of maybe with this guy to 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 drive her at Landstar. So at first she agreed to go because he wanted to meet her too. And I wanted her to go, you know, because there was no way I was making this decision by myself. I'd learned that lesson the hard way. So like on the day of, she's like, well, I'm not going out there. And I'm like, oh, yes, you are. You are getting in that car and we are driving. We're going to do this. So she went with me and we met. And I remember you told me the whole story. You kind of told me the story about Niven. And what I find fascinating is you were telling, I didn't realize this. What, about the time you're meeting him, I'm within a week of my truck blowing up. You know, you met him in March at the truck show, and one week later, my engine expired. You told me you had the truck. You told me that you were going to retire, and you wanted to sell your truck, and then you said the magic words, well, it's got a Mercedes, and I said, I, 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 well, I don't want anything to do with it. And uh, But, the, you know, of course, the black truck that, that you had gotten from him it was already promised back to him and all that was left was your truck. And I thought, well, I've just got to get in here and do what I got to do. And he explained that he wanted to, he liked dedicated freight and I hate dedicated freight. And already, uh, I had one already lined up for him. Oh yeah. I had it all put together. And, and I told Karen, I said, listen, I went back through my numbers through that three months of 2017. And I said, if he, if, if, if I got paid, the same way on the on the stuff that I did, this is how much I would make. And it was a whole lot more. And I was making it air gas. And so we, we we agreed to do it. And fortunately for me, the dedicated run he had put together fell apart. One of the legs didn't. he's like, well, I'm just going to have to let you go and, and run the board. And I'm like, yes, you will. That's right. Watch this. And uh, y'all, buddy, 2018 mark 20. Yeah. 2018 market will has shown enough. I went out and I, I mean, I, I, was, I had paychecks, gross paychecks that were twenty five, twenty six hundred dollars. It was insane. But he just turned me loose and I went out and started putting loads together and, and I made, oh my gosh, what was it? Seventy, seventy some thousand dollars in nine months. There was a little hiccup there that you didn't mention. Okay. So I came home after me and you and I'm telling my wife, I said, man. Said, you know how all of my life I've always tried to hire me. She goes, yeah. I said, I just think I just did. So I said, this this is this guy's a stud. He said, it reminds me of me in so many ways. I just see a lot of opportunity here. So we're kind of excited about it, okay? So now I haven't heard him. <laughs> yeah. Haven't heard him. Haven't heard him yet. Okay? I forgot about this. Haven't heard him yet. So I'm. I by the way, just remind you, I'm a retired professional photographer, and so I was going up to. Covington to the Kentucky State Photographers Convention to present an award 
for um, somebody there that they'd invited me to do. So I'm up there. I'm at this con- trade show and all this noise going on. And I get a call from Chris. And I'm thinking, okay, what's well, just, you know, it's he's wanting to find out about orientation. What is something anyway? And guys, my heart fell into my feet. He this calls is so me, wrong. He calls me and he says, well, he said, I've got a decision to make. I'm like, well, I thought you already made the decision. <laughs> he goes, no. Uh, of course, I, he had told me already about his podcast and all the stuff he was doing. And, and you know, and, and that, that's part of my intrigue with him was that he was, you know, he's such a go-getter, you know. And so, guys, uh, the, the people at U.S. Express were just starting this thing called Freight Waves. And it was all brand new. And they were trying to get this thing off the ground. And they literally were wanting to hire Chris to be their spokesman from from them to the driver because he had such a good rapport and could communicate with drivers. And they'd offered him a job doing an what interview. he they, uh, they offered me an interview. Okay, an interview. Yeah. To go down to Chattanooga and interview for this position down there where he would be doing probably what he really, really, really wants to do, and that's podcast and teach and everything that – you know, that we're doing here. And I thought, oh, shit, how am I going to compete with this? But, you know, I just, I, he was so honest with me, there was no way that I was going to try to bullshit him. And I just said, Chris, you got, you know, you, you got to probably go. I mean, it's what you want to do, you know. And I said, you know, I, I hate it, you know, and, but I mean, I, I can't compete with that. And, um, I can't tell you. I, I, well, I can't tell you. He said, you know, I don't think he was really sure of himself about whether or not he would be able to function in that corporate world. Right. Because uh, that's what it was going to be down there. And he said, you know, I can tell you right now, I know I can come work for you and do what what you need me to do. I know I can be successful. I know what I can make working for you. This other thing, it might be great, but it could also be a bomb. And I lose the opportunity to work for you. So I'm going to stay coming with you. I thought, oh, my God. Thank you, God. You know, (laughs) because I really didn't I really didn't want him to take the job. But there was no way that I was going to talk him out of it. And it's it's you know, it's so crazy that within just days of, of, of talking to Larry, I get this message. You know, hey, would you be interested in, you know doing something and i i'm such a fanboy of freight waves i love freight waves i love everything to do i love craig fuller i love you know it's just a, such a fantastic company and everything they're doing down there and so i was like oh um what do i do but i knew instantly from talking to larry that i could trust his counsel at a time when i couldn't trust myself you know and so i called him and i said dude i I don't know what to do with this. He talked through it. He talked with, you know, through it with me. And I, and I thought, well, there's nothing wrong with going down there. I went down there, interviewed. I met everybody. Uh, the place is just as amazing or more than, than you can imagine it would. But I thought, <clears throat> this is really deep water down here. You know, these guys, these guys are doing something incredibly important. Uh, I think Craig Fuller is the Steve Jobs of, of this time. And I wasn't ready. You know, I, I was not I was I was not in a place that I could go down there and give them everything that they needed. And so I made the decision the, and the correct decision the, to come here with Larry, not even 
because at that point I'm like, well, I just need to get back to having my own truck. You know, that's, and, and this guy's uh, has proven to me that he knows how to do all the things that I couldn't. He can teach me what I need to know. The, the clock's ticking. He's getting out. So I've got to get as much as I can from him in, in mentoring and training. And so it was, it wasn't very far in that I think we were really both starting to explore the opportunities of, of what we could do together. But well, I was, well, here's what I, on the phone, we, we would have these phone conversations that would last hours cause we're both driving, you know? And in this phone conversation, he goes, well, I want to be, I think you may use the word little Larry. I think you were yeah. that term. I want to become little Larry, right? Or the, the what message was that you wanted to do what I do. Yeah. And, uh, because at that time, I thought that all you wanted to do was get your, get a leg up, get back in your own truck, get on your own again. And I was just going to help you transition through that process. Then it became apparent. I think you saw a bigger opportunity along the way. And I recognized the fact that, you know, I had something going here that I was basically going to just let go because of my age and of my, my son didn't have an interest in this business and da, 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 da. And I think it, 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 it dawned on me that, wait a minute, I've got a survivor here. I've got someone that I can not only not, not let it attrit and go away and worth be worth nothing, but now I have the opportunity to with collectively with him to maybe turn it up and make it worth something. And then now I've got someone that can, uh, that can take it over and run it. Maybe I can make a little money, uh, a little longer than I thought I was. So we, we started exploring this whole idea of this, uh, of this, uh, possibility of him uh becoming uh the owner of blue ribbon logistics in due time and of course since then we've both just um uh, embraced that idea and uh and it became a it became a partnership of minds quickly even though we're not a partnership legally at, at this point in time but i think at that time we started using that pronoun that you mentioned before of we a lot Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, I think I probably startled you a little bit because I probably used it before you were. Mm-hmm. I remember one time you even asked me, "You're you're saying we all the time." And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. "What's this we stuff you're talking What's about?" What's this yeah. we shift? You know. <laughs> well, so there was my, a fundamental there was a fundamental shift that happened in me somewhere along in those first few months. In the last episode, we talked about why you would want to be an owner operator, and one of my motivating factors was desperation. I needed to increase my income. I had to. The, in my mind, the only way I could meet my goals and achieve what I wanted to, was to own a truck. Well, I realized pretty soon working here, I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm literally making more money now as a company driver than I did as an owner operator when I was on my own. And the need, that desperation went away. Did I still want to own a truck? Yes. Do I still want to own a fleet? Yes. Do I desperately have to? Is that the the only possible way I'll ever achieve my goals? Is well, no, no, because I'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year as a company driver. So, you know, if I would have had that opportunity back in 2010, well, that would have been a different path that I could have chosen. I just literally did not know that this was possible. And when I told him that, I think is, I'm like, well, you know, I don't really desperately need to own my own truck. I, I can kind of 
be a company driver, hang around here. And that I think relieved both of us because he didn't feel like I had one foot out the door. I felt like I had a place that I could call home and I could be a part of building something that was just more than me being a lone wolf by myself, owning a truck and, you know. Well, and we, and you became the epitome of what we realized could offer to other people, you know, and, yeah. and that's, that's really when we started this concept of, well, let's, if we can do this for you, for Chris, why can't we not do this for other people? You know, I mean, right. if I can, if I can take a guy like you, an awesome driver, a lot of experience, you know, maybe a little bit short in the business side of the things and your personal financial, but there's a lot of people like you out there. So it opened my eyes up to, I'm doing this wrong. You know, I'm getting drivers that are just drivers and I'm trying to make good people out of them. And I said, wait a minute, let's do the opposite here. Let's find good people that happen to know how to drive a truck. And yeah. now let's help them become owner operators and teach them the stuff they don't know because this, this education doesn't exist out there and they're failing to the tune of thousands a day. So yeah. that's where this whole concept was born, you know, and, uh, Obviously, Chris has all of the the trucking knowledge that I don't have, and I've got the business knowledge that he's gaining. So we we both brought something to the party. So we both had something of value that we could contribute, you know, to this uh, this bigger thing. And I think at that time we started dreaming uh, and 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 having some um, you know some ideas about things that we could explore together, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's where we and, and so now we're up, now we're 2019. And so we got through 2018, you know, a great year, 2019, you know, now the partnership started, even though, again, it's not legally a partnership yet. uh, But the, you know, the, the intent is there, the, the, our, our compatibility is there. We're just obviously, I mean, Chris still has the, the, the need, not the desperation, but the need to make a certain dollar amount. And uh, the best way he can do that right now is to remain a driver. But as we grow our fleet up, our, our goal of 10, 10 to, uh, it's 10 for a reason. Because at, at 10, we make enough money as a company that we can bring Chris out of the truck and bring him into, quote, a dispatch, load planner, administrative type. And we can afford to pay him what he needs to make without having to drive a truck. So that's yeah. the reason we're using 10 as the target there for this year. So probably letting the cat out of the bag here, but our goal is for Chris to drive through 2020. And at the end of 2020, he's probably going to come off the road and come into the office. We'll be, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be managing the fleet at that point in time. And, uh, and then I'll be going on to do other things. We have some other growth ideas. We've probably mentioned some of them, but we're looking at some of the stuff with maintenance and with shop and, also, we're looking very, especially with AB5 staring us in the face, we're looking really, really hard at what we're going to do with, with authority and with brokerage and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, so there's some other things that I'm going to uh, be working on that, uh, and let Chris run the fleet, you know. And, and I'm sure we'll continue to grow it, you know. And then at some point in time, you know, we'll, we'll transition legally into he will actually have some ownership and eventually all the ownership. He may end up working with my son for my son's in the business, but in the logistics side. And mm-hmm. so that may end up being something that we look at down the road. Which and we've got blockchain coming down. I mean, it's just a matter of time. I mean, we're, we're going to be ready to pounce when 
when everything changes. So it's a, it's a fascinating time to be in the business. We have teased about this or or kidded about this, but you know, I'm nowhere uh, technologically at the level that Chris is. And so he has drugged me kicking and screaming into this podcast world. And you wouldn't believe the stuff we're doing with digital files and stuff right now. I mean, you know, I'm an old guy that printed everything out and put it in a file folder. Now we have Dropbox and all this stuff. And, I mean, it's just it's just amazing the efficiency that he's brought to the operation that, you know, I, it just, it, I just would not have done it. So, I mean, the value he's already brought is just immeasurable. And this, uh, this is Thanksgiving weekend, and I want to just tell everybody out there that, you know, I'm very thankful that Chris Polk came along in my life because uh, – it, it, it has changed my life. I know it's changed his. And Absolutely. So it just just goes to show you what can happen. If you, I don't know, you work hard and do the right things, and, and you get lucky breaks. And I think both of us fit that fit that situation. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that is um, that's our that's our decade. It's it's certainly been a ride for the both of us. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, Chris at BlueRibbonLogistics.com, Larry at BlueRibbonLogistics.com. If you're interested in driving for us, go to blueribbonlogistics.com and click on Drive for Us. You can fill out a form there and send us your information, and we'll we'll look uh we'll have a look at you. But until next time, everybody, be safe. We'll see you. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.